super excited to make history with the On Iowa podcast and with probably college football podcasts in general, because I don't think we've had two women talking about Hawkeye football literally ever recorded ever. So y'all welcome Celia from WQAD in the Quad Cities. She is a TV reporter, multimedia sports journalist, and she has been there since, I'm going to pull up the text, um, <laughs> June 2019. And before that was an MMJ in Augusta, Georgia, home of the Masters. Yeah. So wow. I want to know, Celia, did the Masters turn out to be everything you wanted it to be this year? Um, yeah. I thought there was drama. It was great to see a limited amount of fans back out there. You know, you get some of those cheers, some of those roars that the Masters is famous for. And it was just uh, April and Augusta. It's a time unlike any other. And so to have the Masters back in the springtime was huge. And I'm just so glad I got to I got to watch it as a fan this time, which was great. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to talk football in a minute. And I think, you know, that obviously football is why I brought you on. But I also wanted to say that we're both not from the state of Iowa. I'm from Texas. You're from California. You went to Georgia for undergrad. I went to Texas. So we've got big 12 SEC country here on the on Iowa podcast. I wanted to know from your perspective, what was like your biggest culture shock taking on this beat? Wow. I mean, I think just in general, moving to the Midwest, I really wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, you know, I grew up on the West Coast. I spent six years between school and work in the South. And so moving up here, I was just taken aback by how nice people are, you know, Midwest <laughs> nice, Iowa nice. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. I mean, they're not like that in California. I'll tell you that. Um, people are nice in the South, but it, it was just, it's been great to, to come up here. And I think, the Big Ten just has its own set of traditions and culture. Um, and so I wasn't really totally sure what to expect coming in as a reporter, but it's surpassed every expectations and, and been a blast for the last two, two years that I've been covering the Hawkeyes. Yeah, and, the Iowa nice thing is very real. It's, yeah. it's also like kind of aggressive and startling. And so I remember my best friend came up here recently and we were at Home Goods or something. We we're just like in line. And this guy accidentally cuts me off as I'm just entering a different aisle. And he goes, oh, sorry, I apologize. And she was like, what is he apologizing for? Oh, my God, that was just so much. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally get that. I mean, I come from a place where someone walking in a door in front of you will open the door and then let it close in your face. <laughs> like <laughs> That would never happen here. Like, no matter who, you know, I mean, it's. The California stereotype, it's a little accurate, you know, but here in the Midwest, it's just so great. Um, what was it like for you, Leah? I mean, coming, I know you grew up in Texas, went to Texas, but you also spent time in Chicago when you worked in Iowa before. What was that transition like for you coming here? I mean, coming here initially, I was in Mason City, which is like vastly different from Iowa City, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I went from Austin, Texas to literally middle of nowhere in North Iowa, and I just remember like the niceness was kind of funny to me. Like people would talk to me at gas stations and I'm like, I'm literally pumping gas. Like, <laughs> I don't really care how your day is. And you know, oh people, 
people from Texas are nice. You know, like I like to think that we're nice, but I don't think we're that nice. And also there's like that passive aggressive, like bless your heart, sweetie, you know, like they're not actually that nice, but people in Iowa are actually that nice. But I think the winter was probably the most brutal thing. I got strep throat several times and I was covering high school sports. And I remember I was just like in high schools and all these like Jeremy kids. And (laughs) one time I got strep throat so bad. I think I ended up getting the flu too. And I had a fever and it was like negative six degrees outside. Lord chills were so bad that I literally was shaking as I got in the car. Yeah. (laughs) That was probably the most terrifying experience of my life. I was like, am I, am I having a seizure right now? Like, is this how bad it is to have a fever in a place that's actually freezing? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'll tell you, like, it was a culture shock. It was, I mean, I obviously I covered in my first year here that season of Iowa football, but this last season, obviously things were different. We were shooting video in the stands, but covering my first football game in the falling snow, not just with snow on the ground, with snow actively falling, it was the Wisconsin game. It, that that sent me. I was like, oh, I'm officially a Midwesterner. I have covered a football game in the snow. But one thing that I hang my hat on is I have not fallen slipping on ice before. And I'm going to try and maintain that as long as I live here. Yeah. Good for you. Because every winter season, I have one like cartoon, like banana peel kind of fall where I fall literally on my back. And I'm like, how did this happen? (laughs) (laughs) How did I get here? I don't, I even like will wear boots with like traction and stuff. It's not like I'm dressed nice. Um, Yeah. When I covered my first snow game up in Iowa, I was up in, up in like uh, Mason city area. I was actually in Algona, Iowa, which is where Cole Banwert. Bulldogs. Yeah. The Bulldogs. Yeah. Algona Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, except I think I was covering Bishop Garrigan at the time, okay. but, um, yeah, it was snowing and their press box is like not insulated. It's just a wooden box. Yep. <laughs> and I had like three layers on plus a blanket over my legs. And I was trying to type my story and it was like, I was picking at it with yeah, your hands. Like, they don't work with like pencils for fingers or something. And I don't know if you edit your, do you edit your own video? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how you put up with that as a TV journalist. Oh my God, dude. Like at the Wisconsin <laughs> game, everyone made fun of me for what I was wearing, but gosh, darn it. I was warm. So I wore leggings. I wore snow pants. I wore two pairs of socks. I wore lace-up boots. I wore a long sleeve turtleneck under. And then I found the most amazing thing on Amazon. It is a, you know, those like phone um, battery banks, those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found a vest that is heated and powered by one of those phone <laughs> banks. So I wore that. And then I wore my parka and I had a scarf and a hat on and I looked like a marshmallow. I looked like the Michelin man, probably. Oh my God. This but is I was warm, not a inch of snow got on my skin and, you know, I looked ridiculous, but I was warm and I didn't care. So laugh all bust- you want, people. The West Coaster was warm. I'm going to bust out my ski pants if we, if we get to the snow game situation. Yeah, yeah it was great. I mean, even if I'm in the press box, I'm going to wear my ski pants and they're bright blue or they're bright orange and I don't want to hear it. So there you go. 
So I want to tell listeners too, before uh, we get into it, like the two of us actually met years ago in Austin yeah. at an association for women in sports media convention, which is hilarious because yeah. I remember you messaged me. You're like, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, <laughs> we've met each other before. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, do you remember what was your first impression of me back then? You know, I don't remember a whole lot about that convention in general. I mean, it was right after graduation and I had no job. So I was there and I was on a mission. (laughs) I was unemployed and a lot of my friends were employed. So I was really stressed out, but I remember meeting you at a, we had a dinner one night and, um, Linda Cohn was the keynote speaker. And I remember we, I think, I don't know if we were at the same table or if like we were near each other in an aisle, but I remember talking to you, um, when we were eating dinner before Linda spoke and that was just, that convention was amazing. Wasn't it? I mean, it's just such a great organization to be a part of. And I'm so glad that I went to that convention. I I think I remember Jamil Hill was still on sports center at the time and she was there. Carrie champion was there. Uh, Jessica Luther was there. She's a writer and she's from Texas and basically broke the Baylor scandal situation. Yeah. So it was like, I was starstruck for sure. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Jamie Erdahl was there. I remember, um, she was great. I mean, just everyone, it was, it's amazing. The people that they bring in for young people like us, especially the students that are still in their college chapters, just to be able to talk to those people. And the workshops were great too. I mean, half of it was about meeting these people and following them on social media and, you know, having them in your network, you know? And I don't know about you, but it was funny when I came over to your place last week and I pointed out the San Francisco 49ers flag you have hanging in your bedroom, which I have a Dallas Cowboys flag hanging in my bedroom. And I was like, oh my God, all my girlfriends have always made fun of me for being such a frat boy, having this flag in my apartment. And then we sit down, we have pizza, we try a rom-com and then we're switching over to last chance you. And I was like, this is like the girlfriend I've never had before yep. in my life. And that's what the Association for Women in Sports Media Convention was like for me too. Yeah. I was like, finally, <laughs> my type. <laughs> yeah, finally people like us who get it. You know, I definitely agree with that. I love my girlfriends wherever they are, you know, all of them all over the country, but it's great to have a friend like you that is into sports just as much and would much rather watch Last Chance You than a rom-com on a Wednesday night. So yeah. go us. <laughs> so we're going to get into spring ball, spring ball, spring football. It's back. Um, and I think, you know, the first thing that everybody wanted to know is, is there actually going to be a quarterback competition in this off season? And I wanted your take since you actually have seen the entire Spencer Petrus last season. And I am still kind of making my way like a Netflix documentary series. <laughs> yeah. You know, Of course, I think half of it, I think, is coach speak a little bit to say there's a competition at quarterback. You know, of course you want to say that because you want to inspire a healthy level of competition. You want all of your players fighting for those minutes, fighting for the starting job. And so I think that's important, especially when you have a quarterback who last season was his first year starting. So you don't want someone to think, oh, you started last year, it's your your job to, to have, you know, uh, I think it's important when you have, especially just highly skilled players in your quarterback room to, uh, have that level of competition. But in my eyes, I don't think there really is one. I think last year it was about 
Spencer Petras getting those reps, getting comfortable, you know, being the leader on the team, just listening to press conferences between last year to this year, he's grown a lot in maturity. And I think we're going to see that on the field that he's just more comfortable out there. And so I'm excited to see, you know, maybe there really is a competition and he's not the guy that's starting uh, in that very first game at Indiana. Um, I don't know. Uh, how do you feel about it? You know, and I, you know, I watched the Purdue game recently and I had already seen him in the Illinois game, the Wisconsin game, um, because I was studying like Iowa football for the to interview for this job, basically. Yeah. So I watched like all of the remaining games. I saw like the better Spencer Petras, right? And then yeah. I just went back and saw the Purdue game for the first time. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. And there were kind of some some like Mitch Trubisky moments, you know, and mm-hmm. like where you, it just kind of looked like he like threw the ball up to God and thought like, you know, take the wheel. And, um, <laughs> Please catch this. <laughs> and I was like, but then I was thinking about what the quarterback coach said last week, Ken O'Keefe. Um, he was saying last week, you know, they were all training by themselves, like yeah. in this off season. And you know, in that time you're teaching yourself maybe some bad habits and there's no one there to hold you accountable. I thought that was a powerful thing to say. And then I also thought about what Ferentz said a couple of weeks ago about like all the teams that had veteran quarterbacks were way better going into this season without a spring football. You're not able to establish your offense fully. I mean, that's when you're like really going through the playbook. That's where you're really kind of catering that offense into what Mm-hmm. You, what, what you visualize it being. And yeah. I think about having to literally create all of that in the fall. And I'm like, we got to give this dude a break, yeah. you know? And I also am never super hard on college players because they don't get paid. Right. It's yeah. up to the coaches. And so that's my view of things. And then actually some funny tidbits I looked up today, I was like, okay, if we look at completion percentage and like quarterback rating, um, you know, what was, what are some other quarterbacks that we know of some popular names that have made improvements or maybe went through college with like a 57% completion percentage, Jay Cutler (laughs) and Mitch Trubisky. Of course I followed two quarterbacks from the Chicago bears. Of course, but I'm looking, I'm looking at Jay Cutler at Vanderbilt and it's like 40, I think it was 48% his freshman year. Uh, and then like 57% is software year for completion percentage and 61%, 59%, Mitch Trubisky, 53%, and then jumps to like 85% his software year. And then back down to like 68, you know, when he's yeah. older. So I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, so this could go a number of ways. Spencer could kind of remain the same or he can improve. Yeah. And he could be somebody like one of these two quarterbacks who surprises us all. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really there for the Nate Stanley era, so I don't really know what went on there, but I know that fans were critical of him too. Yeah. Uh, it's just a position that's going to garner criticism, you know, no matter what. And I think last year, gosh, it, it was just so hard for players, no matter your position, because of the nature of no spring ball. You know, we have this situation where we're going to play. Oh no, we're not going to play but now everyone else is going to play. So yeah, I guess we're going to play. I mean, I think it would be incredibly difficult just for a player who wasn't a veteran, like you mentioned to step in and for it just to be, you know, you 
no drop off, just be perfect. That's just not how it's going to be, especially when it's your first year as a starter. So I expect to see, we really should see a lot of progression from Spencer Petrus, given that he had a whole season and now he has a regular off season, spring football and fall camp and everything to, to get oriented and to, to really perfect things. And I also think that the players have kind of spoken out about how they feel more confident with him as a leader in the locker yeah. room and even on the field. I think it was Tyron Tracy yesterday who was like, he's putting the balls on the money. And I was like, Oh, okay. Ooh, All yeah. right. Let's go. Let's see that. Um, so I'm thinking I'm kind of moving forward to yeah. wide receivers are a pretty interesting position right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tyrone Tracy jr. Is probably going to be, you know, the probably the main target, but do you have your eyes on anybody else, you know, from over the years? I know there's quite a few veterans. There's 16 wide receivers on the oh roster. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, you've got guys like Nico Regani, who's been in the program for a while. I- I'm going to be interested to see how he fits into the mix, but it's, it's so difficult just replacing two guys like Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset. I mean, they're very talented players. Um, so you leave a lot of, you leave big shoes to fill there. Um, but all these older guys in the program have been really excited about Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson. I mean, dang, I'm, I, they're brought up every single press conference, you know, they're okay. clearly turning heads. Okay. I want to, I want to, I want to fact check this though. Okay. They are brought up every single press conference by the media. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're right. Not by the players. There was one player that mentioned Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce by name in his interview. And it was Riley Moss. Okay. Um, yeah. Last week when he was talking about, you know, going up against some of the new kids. Yeah. But then after that, all the other media members this past week have asked, Oh, what about Keegan Johnson <laughs> and Arlen Bruce? And well, everybody said something about them. And literally, like, we had Max Cooper and Charlie Joseph. So they're like, yeah, the young guys are doing well. Yeah. Like, very generalized, like, football player talk. Like, they're not going to be specific about anything. They're just like, yeah, yeah. the young guys, are, they're really learning the playbook really quickly. Yeah. What else are they going to say? Oh, yeah. yeah, the young guys suck. They yeah. can't, like, learn the playbook. <laughs> not going to happen. They're not, not going to happen. They're not the effort at practice. Like, these guys are horrible. Yeah, okay. So really, like. I'm not doubting Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce as like future elite receivers. Yeah. But also like they're true freshmen and I can see them getting a couple of reps and then maybe red shirting. I could also see one of them maybe just really rising to the top. But when you have 16 wide receivers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, you got to go with the older guys and you bring up Charlie Jones. I remember him standing out a lot last year. He's just a really athletic guy. I think we saw glimpses of how great he can be. This is the year that he's he really is able to put that on display and and step up as one of the go-to guys. So, plenty to choose from in that in the wide receiver room and in that group. I mean, we're lucky to to see so many talented players like that. It's it's going to be great. Yeah, and I, I even Kelton Copeland said today that Max Cooper, who, you know, was injured last season, <laughs> kind of had a couple reps as a true freshman, had a couple reps the next year even he has stepped up his game. Yeah. And then he was like, you're forgetting. We have all these other guys like Desmond Hudson. Yep. We have uh, Jackson Ritter. Like there's a lot of other players names that we don't want to forget about. Right. Like, oh, yeah. And so I actually, I'm pretty interested to see at the open practice on Saturday, like who in that group really stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I imagine there's such a size difference 
between yep. these true freshmen yep. and, you know, the older kids. And I think another thing that Copeland said today was like, yeah, okay. They might look good in practice, but now let's, you put them up against some defense. You put them in a game time situation. It's different. Yeah. It's different. The game hasn't slowed down for them yet. You know, yeah. Uh, for the younger guys in particular, that's where those, those more veteran players are, are going to be able to, to stand out more, you know, when the game is slowed down for them a little bit more. What about the defensive line? If we're switching to like the other side of the ball, like this is the second year that Iowa's had to basically completely revamp their off their defensive line. I know you did a story on Jack Heflin yeah. and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I want to know what your thoughts are on replacing the defensive line. Also, like, do you think Jack will uh, get chosen in the draft or a free agency? What are you thinking? I think he was last, when we talked, he, his last indication was, you know, a, a later round or free agency The you know, the, what he was able to do at Iowa was certainly impressive. It's not his full body of work. So I think he's a guy that flies under the radar. You know, he's not a name that, you know, all of these scouts know. Uh, so it's going to be important for him to stand out with what he's been able to do. And I'm just, I really hope for him that he does get picked up somewhere because not only is he a talented football player, he's just a really good person. And it would, that's my favorite story that I've ever done at WQAD. Um, was telling Jack Heflin's story, you know, a kid that comes from a tiny program, um, Erie Prophetstown, they co-op, um, which is a thing that I didn't know was a thing before I came to Iowa. Cause it's not a thing in Georgia and it's not a thing in California. It's a co-op. Yeah. So Erie high school and Prophetstown high school, two different high schools, but they're both so small that they join forces to put together a football team and other sports. Oh yeah. That's so, a Midwest thing. That yeah. is definitely a Midwest thing. Yeah. So <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, geez, they've got a pretty much like you mentioned, start from scratch a little bit on this defensive line. Um, and that's a position group that is make or break <laughs> in the end of the day and really difficult when you don't have a strong experienced defensive line. So yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of areas where we're gonna have to see guys step up that next man up mentality that kind of thing that I hope they learned from the older guys. But when you graduate such a big group, you got to step up and, and fight for the, for that time. You know, and it's, it's been hard to get any specifics on who is standing out yeah. in, in that position. Cause the defensive coaches, like they're not detailed people. They don't like to reveal anything. Like I think we had Phil Parker last week. And then this week we had Jay Neiman. I even asked Jay for like, some names. individual names. Give me, give me some names, buddy. And he literally was like, yeah, Zach Van Valkenburg. He's showing yeah. up like he has a chip on his shoulder. Like he didn't I have all these that. accolades. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah cause he's like, you're one returner, but yeah. tell me about someone that we like haven't seen yet or we don't yeah. know anything about yet. So I'm like really just looking to learn some names yeah. on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Like I don't know a whole lot of these guys because <laughs> yeah. no, I'm just being honest. Like you know those guys who came up big last year, who were making plays on the defensive side of the ball. But when you lose so many, of course, you don't know some of these guys stepping up because they weren't getting, getting uh, major minutes out there. Um, a local guy to the quad cities is Logan Lee. Uh, mm-hmm. He went to Orion high school just a really athletic kid. He was hoping last year he would get some time. Um, but, 
you know, I think hopefully this year, maybe he'll, he'll be able to, to get out there a little bit more, just really didn't see him play a whole lot last year. Um, so he's a guy that I would like to see play just given the connection that we have here. I've got to know his family and they're great people. And I know that they would love to see him uh, be able to make a difference out there. Yeah. Logan, I think his name came up. Noah Shannon's name came up. Yeah. Yeah. Black came up. Uh, John Wagner. I think a lot of the reporters on this beat love John Wagner. Um, of course he's from Dowling Catholic. So I guess it makes sense as to why all the Iowa reporters <laughs> love John Wagner. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see on that one. I'm really excited though. Like, you know, that's another culture shock thing for me. Yeah. Cause in the big 12, what is defense? Like, yeah. You're, and even in the SEC, even more so, what is defense? Like, Texas trying to make this case is like DBU, like defensive back U, which, like, we did have a really good safety this year in Caden Stearns. And there have been a couple of guys yeah. over the years, but I'm just kind of like, guys, <laughs> like, you're still letting teams score like 40 points per game. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, Georgia's had some, some, pretty strong defenses over the years. That's what we've hung our hat on, but no, I get what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited. I want to see some tackles for loss. I want to see some sacks. I see some interceptions. Like, and I think that this, uh, the secondary at Iowa is pretty, uh, it seems like there's a lot of returning experience yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I think that'll be really exciting to see this season. hundred percent, hundred percent. Just a lot of new names to learn, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I made flashcards. I made flashcards. I, I color, I color coordinated by like position group color coordinated. I did girl. I don't, I wish I could bring them on here. I, I left them in the other room, but I think I put like, Oh, I put like linebackers is like pink. And you know, I put like quarterback is like blue and like offense or like, you know, your main sure. guys. Um, yeah, no, they're color coordinated and I'm learning. So y'all can quiz it. me this Saturday on the roster, <laughs> at least on the current depth chart, yeah. because I didn't really make my way through the entire roster. Sure. Um, but I think we should get into some Twitter questions. I was really excited yeah. that we did get like at least three Twitter questions and mm-hmm. they were all like actually appropriate. So I'm really excited. Um, <laughs> and so uh, the first one we got was from Eric Reynolds and he said what players will you be watching the closest during open spring practices and scrimmages do you want to go first or me I think you should go first I'm, okay. like, I'm curious to know I mean it's pretty easy for me I'm going to be watching Spencer Petrus working with the wide receivers uh, yeah. especially when guys are saying he's on the money with uh, the balls that he's putting up I really I want to see that. And I want to see them. Uh, I want to see him throw deep balls and I want to see that accuracy. I want to see how fast he's getting the ball out of his hands. Um, I want to know if the talk is true. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really want to, I hate to agree with you, but I also agree with you yeah. because after, especially after coming out of this press conference today yeah. and listening to the wide receivers coach and listening to the quarterbacks coach last week, um, I'm really, con- I'm really like curious because of pe- especially since we have such like a deep pool of talent mm-hmm. in the wide receiving group. And then also I am curious, I will say I am a Texan. So I am curious about Deuce Hogan, you know, yeah. our, our third string QB right there hanging out. And I'm like, <laughs> I know he can throw the ball. He's from the it's DFW Texas football. Yeah. He's from the DFW area. We've been passing the ball since forever. And that was the other thing is I covered high school football in Iowa. And I was like, they really don't pass the ball here. Do they? Like, <laughs> 
but um, yeah, I think that's a good question. The next question we have coming out of an odd year, where are the Hawkeyes strengths and where are the weaknesses? What under the radar sports should we be watching this year? So there's a, it's a lot of questions. So let's start with the strengths and weaknesses on this Hawkeye team. You know, for me, I'm going to go something a little bit more intangible than on the field. Uh, mm-hmm. You asked this during a press conference. Other people have asked this as well. Kind of just some changes in the program after, you know, last summer when um, everything went down where there uh, was allegations of racial injustice within the program. Obviously, Chris Doyle uh, left the program. There was just there was just a lot going on in the program and players have said this group is tighter than ever. And I'm excited to see how that translates on the field. When you have a team that's really a team that really supports each other and feels like they can go to each other with things that are going around, going on. um, I think that's important. And I do think that will translate on the field. I think that could be a strength if they're playing like a team, if they're gelling, if they feel like they've come together through something like that. I think that could be interesting to see. What about you? You know, I like the way you frame that. And because I think that it's really easy for a lot of sports commentators out there to be like, this program went through adversity and like, what's the adversity you had a coach being racist. Yeah. Like that's not an adversity that, I mean, that's an adversity for the players. It's not adversity for the program. Right. Like, and so, um, it's kind of like, I think there was a tweet out there when Baylor won the basketball um, national championship. They were like, oh, well, everybody hates on Baylor because of what happened with football. And I'm just like happy that they're getting respect out of basketball. And I'm like, so the adversity was the institutionalized assaulting of women. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not an adversity. That's, that was a, that was bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, with this, I, I think a lot of players seemingly have, said that they are closer than ever. And uh, I think that Broderick Benz did a lot of really productive work in the off season, not just within the football team, but within everybody else. So yeah, I'm excited to kind of see that bond. I'm also, you know, I won't, I won't lie. I'm excited to see like Caleb Shudak yeah. um, take this position as a starting kicker. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I think that, you know, he really stuck through this program. Yeah. And, um, I was reading about him. I really want to write about him and yeah, I hate to give my storylines away, but what other beat writers going to listen to this podcast? I doubt any, um, but yeah, I mean, he's like the, uh, you know, he had to choose to come back and he waited and waited. And it was funny. Cause today I think LeVar Woods was like, I would cry if this kid left this program. Like, <laughs> I was like, that's powerful. He's like, I'm not going to get too personal, but I would cry. Like this kid is a good kid. And um, yeah, I'm excited for him to kind of take that role. I mean, you're coming off two straight talented kickers, Miguel Racinos, and then you got Keith Duncan. Legend. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the legend. So I'm excited to see uh, how well he does. And the other, I think the... Let's see the strengths and weaknesses that I got away from the question. Um, strengths, I, I think, obviously, um, I think the defense is something that's kind of set in stone at Iowa. I think that's mm-hmm. something 
they were talking about, oh, if this is a product of a system that we have in place, I think, the, yeah. I think that's something that we don't have to worry about, especially with the depth in the secondary and the fact that they are used to replacing the defensive line the way that they're going to be replacing it this year. Yeah, it's a cycle and they're used to it. It's not like, oh my God, we lost all these guys. What do we do? No, guys have been waiting in the wings for their opportunity. So yeah. And the offensive line, same thing. It's like, yeah, that's what I was known for. I think the weakness is, I don't know, you know, I think, um, you know, Spencer Petrus, you know, that could be a weakness, Yeah, you know, absolutely. it could, it could be a strength. I think what could be just kind of the uncertainties are the weaknesses, right? So mm-hmm. I don't even know, we've got like one tight end, Sam Laporta, that's kind of made a name yeah yeah made the made a name for himself has the reps but now I'm kind of like well who else is there um the other question was yeah what under the radar sports should we be watching I want you to lead this one off because you've made a concerted effort to highlight those every every week you know you've done a great job of pointing that out and so I'm curious to hear what you think in terms of that I meant to, I meant to, uh, check on this before, right before I, uh, logged on because I, I haven't done my check-in this week, but, um, I know the field hockey team's doing really well right now. They're like, uh, I think they, the last big one that I read about, they beat Michigan or Michigan state. That was like number two in the nation. Um, tennis, there's a really good tennis player, uh, women's tennis, um, Alexa, Noel. I hope that I'm getting her name right. Um, she apparently was supposed to be playing like pro tennis and she's playing at Iowa. And I guess she, she played like Wimbledon juniors and she's undefeated so far and kind of leading this team to the next level. So I'm, I really want to write her story. I think women's tennis is under the radar at Iowa. Uh, What's not so under the radar is the women's basketball team. You know, we all enjoyed that. I'm excited for that to come back. Actually like, can't wait. Uh, so yeah, those are kind of the, the under the radar sports that I'm looking at. Um, one thing you brought up field hockey, Mm -hmm. we need ice hockey at Iowa. We do need ice. Just saying like, that would be (laughs) incredible. First of all, you've got the extreme arena in Coralville, brand new. There's going to be an ECHL team there, which is awesome. We need Iowa ice hockey. And I know if Keith Duncan listens to this, he'll agree because he tweets about this often that Iowa needs a hockey team. I mean, it's a Midwestern sport and it's freaking awesome. It actually doesn't make sense that Iowa doesn't have a hockey team. I know, exactly. I was surprised (laughs) to learn that they didn't. It also doesn't make sense that they don't have women's wrestling. I mean, like, I think that would also... Considering that Coralville hosted... um, the state tournament for girls high school wrestling this year which and they yeah the usa women's wrestling team was also like here in town yeah. a couple of weeks ago yeah and I iowa is the <laughs> wrestling state i think there's a lot of potential for these sports to yeah. happen in iowa mm-hmm. um the last question we have i know it's still early and we kind of talked about this a little bit but what's the one thing that surprised you most since picking up the Iowa football beat? Ooh. You know, it's not, maybe not necessarily something surprising, but just something that I really enjoy. And it's about the big 10 in general, but something I didn't get to experience until covering this team was 
the games for all the traveling trophies. I love that. I think it's awesome. You know, Georgia has Georgia, Florida, and the traveling trophy is the Okie Finoki or, but that's pretty much it. You know, like, I think it's awesome that there are so many games with something to play for more than just a win or a loss. You know, I think that's something that's unique and really cool. And I, I love it. I think it's awesome. I'm excited about that too. And I've noticed that over the years, I'm like, what, why is there a trophy for like literally every game? And Texas is just like Texas, Oklahoma now because yeah. we lost the AM rivalry and I won't get into that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, we have like the golden hat. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to see that experience. And, um, I think the, what surprised me most, I guess, what about this beat was, uh, I did that black history month series and, you know, I, lo- I read a lot about Hayden Fry. I read a lot about Duke Slater, Frank Kinney Holbrook. And I, I was surprised to know that Iowa broke so many barriers in, as far as like integrating football in the big 10, I was surprised to know that Hayden Fry integrated the Southwestern conference before coming to Iowa. Um, so it's kind of interesting how Iowa pioneers in some of these ways that we never thought, or maybe we didn't expect like a place like Iowa to be a pioneer in. So I think that's what surprised me the most. Absolutely. And I love that, you know, that's something that's so important. And I hope that the university of Iowa continues to be a school like that, that continues to break barriers, whether it be in gender or anything else, you know, it's, it's cool to be able to cover a team with history like that. Yeah. And even a lot of the women that I wrote about were like on the board of the AIAW, the, like the first governing body for basically women's collegiate sports and really kind of wrote, wrote title nine. You know, I, I didn't realize that Iowa's like had so many women at the forefront of that, like Christine Grant, Bonnie Slatten, like that's, that's interesting stuff for me as a woman on this beat. And I think that we need to highlight more when, you know, in our off time (laughs) when we can, um, you know, yeah. So I think the, you know, we got to wrap up this podcast at some point, even though I know we could go on for hours. (laughs) I know people are probably like, I was like, no, keep going. I, I I hope, I hope, I hope that we're fun and entertaining. Um, so I want to leave off with like kind of this parting thought of what are you looking forward to most this fall? I mean, obviously fans are going to be back, but we're thinking about football. Like, you know, what are you looking forward to? For me, it's easy. September 11th, the return of the Cyhawk game. Yes. Iowa State is going to be really good. Iowa's going to be really good. <laughs> I really hope Jack Trice Stadium is at full capacity. I covered it two years ago when it was at Jack Trice again, and it was a miserable rainy day, but there wasn't a seat empty. And it's an incredible rivalry, and it's not often that both teams, you know, are going to come into the year in the top 25 and be high-level competitors. So, you know, obviously fans listening to this aren't so fond of the the Cyclones, but what a great rivalry, and uh, I cannot wait for that game. You know, I'm excited for that too. Actually, one of my good friends from college actually works at Iowa State. And I was like, how did we both end up in Iowa? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I love rivalry games. I think that'll just be a blast. Um, I'm also excited because Iowa does play Northwestern in Evanston this year. Ooh. So uh, your girl's going to go out on the town in Chicago. <laughs> 
night before with all my friends. And, you know, it's funny because, like, people always ask me, they're like, oh, well, have you been to a Big Ten football game? Like, no, I haven't. Like, actually, I have. I went to a game at Northwestern when they played Michigan State when I just got into grad school. And I was like, it just, that's not how you picture the Big Ten experience. Like, I wouldn't say that Northwestern is, uh, (laughs) like, I'm not a Northwestern fan. I, like, went there, got my master's degree, got my job. Like, cool. But, like, the experience was not, like, Big Ten. It's not like Kinnick Stadium on a fall Saturday. Yep. It's different. I get it. It's like if you went to Georgia Tech and you go to a game. That's, you know, that's not really going to a game. Yeah. And if you travel an hour and a half south, southeastern to Athens, that's a game. Sorry, just had to get some Georgia Tech hate in there. Yeah. No, I respect it. You know, I respect it. Uh, I think I also want to try some food at these tailgates. Like, I wonder if I can get some people to invite me and like try their traditional like Midwestern fried whatever the heck they have because I know everything's fried here and full of cheese. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. I love it. Well, Celia, thank you so much for coming on the On Iowa podcast. And I guess, you know, people who aren't uh, from the Quad Cities or living in the Quad Cities as this is the Cedar Rapids Gazette podcast. Um, you can probably see her work on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Palermo. I think your Jack Heflin feature is, it was a pinned tweet. It was. It is no longer. But it's on YouTube. Check it out. Yeah. And uh, you, she tweets out all her stuff. So if y'all can follow her, check out WQAD's coverage of the Iowa Hawkeyes and also check out the thegazette.com yes. we have a brand new website makeover so uh yeah and i guess uh we'll see y'all in kinnick stadium soon this Ooh. saturday 